The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. All right read our passage for this morning. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, um, it's a short one. I'm going to read verses 25 through 28. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Morning, church. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a... Cool to hear that story. One of the rules, or I guess this is a rule for me, I don't think it always has to be the case for every preacher to have this as a rule, but I really, I try really hard never to tell self-congratulatory stories when I preach. And so it's really cool that like, I looked really good just now and I didn't say any of it, so. Um, Oh... I'm not that awesome, but it sounded, sounded good. Um, so I want to start off and actually share a little bit about kind of preaching generally. So I've been thinking a lot about sort of the art of preaching and what, what it means for a 32-year-old guy to get up on stage, you know, a couple times a month and share from God's Word. And it's it's sort of, I think it's kind of fascinating. Four of you probably will find this interesting, so this is for you. Um, the, God's word is timeless, right? The truths in here are forever. Um, God's word never returns void, never comes up empty. Um, I am not timeless. And you could spend time with me and hang out with me, and you might not get a lot out of it. Um, and so you've got this perfect good word, but it's being communicated through me or Oshawa or whoever, right? It's being taught through one of God's children. And so it's, it's a strange thing because I'm on a journey apprenticing Jesus just like everyone else. Like there's no different difference in that regard. I, I stumble, I fail, I don't always do well, I have seasons of success or moments that are awesome, or I'm, I'm sensing the Spirit and I'm listening to Him more, and then there's other moments where it's, it's not so great. And so the balance, or the, 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 the tricky part, is that, is that balance of, as I communicate, um, I don't want to just get up here and just talk about, well, Here's God's word. Let me present it kind of separate from my own life. In fact, I think it's almost impossible to do that if, you're, if your goal is to be authentic. 
And I think that that should be the goal of anybody who teaches anything. That regardless of what you're teaching, especially when it comes to God's word, your goal, excellence, looks like pursuing authenticity. And authenticity means being genuine, right? It means being real, means being honest. And so, though we just heard all these great things about me, now I get to even it out a little bit. Um, I struggle, just like the rest of you. And I know you, kind, you, you know this, but I, I don't know, I just, as I prayed this week and I thought about what to share, um, I felt like I needed to say that. Like, I, I, I'm going to talk towards the end of our time this morning about confession, about what it looks like to confess sins to one another and why that's really a, a lost spiritual discipline in the, in the North American church, in the church in the West in general, and why that's no good. But I just want to tell you on the front end, I struggle. I'm not perfect. And if I suspect for some of us that hearing someone um, who doesn't have such a maybe polished presentation or demeanor or style feels a little um, uncomfortable or weird. And so I guess what I would say to you is, I'm only here for two more weeks and then somebody else comes up. I'm just kidding. But really, um, that's why we have multiple voices um, on the stage from you to, for you to hear from, from you, for you to learn from. That it's not just one voice that you're hearing from or one style, but, um, but multiple voices and multiple styles. And so, um, yeah. Would you pray with me for a moment while we jump into this? Jesus, um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for the... Um, opportunity for us to to sit under your words and your teaching. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our hearts, free us up to listen to you and to hear from you this morning. Free me up. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in the book of Ephesians, and last week Russell did an awesome job talking about the new man or the new life that we have in Christ. The week before that, Danny shared about the old man or the old life. And so this week, Paul's going to start getting kind of down into the nitty-gritty of what does the new life look like. And he's going to touch on a couple of key issues or character qualities of the new man or the new woman who is walking in the ways of Jesus. And I think the grid that Paul wants us to see through uh, as it pertains to the old self and the new self is that of division versus unity. And so when he talks about anger, or he talks about being someone who's generous, right? he's talking about things that either bring disunity and division to the body of Christ, or he's talking about things that are going to bring unity and wholeness. And so verse, look at verse 25 again. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So within the, the context of uh, throughout the, the New Testament, this word falsehood, it really means um, it's the antithesis of truth. Falsehood is the antithesis of truth. So the nature of the old man before knowing Christ was one of deception. Naturally, that was our disposition. So false, falsehood here means that which is not genuine. Or not real or authentic. 
um, Paul calls us to put off the falsehood of the old man and to put on the truth, the life of Christ as we interact with one another in relationship. Because Satan, right, his number one priority is to what? Deceive, right? He is the father of lies. And Jesus came in truth and power to, to deny the lies of Satan, sin, and death, to overcome those things, to bring us new life. And so the key way that Satan seeks to disunify us, to bring disunity and division into our relationships, is to get us to believe things that are not true, and then to tell that to others. And so Paul is saying, let it go. Put on the new man. Live into the presence of Jesus moment by moment, asking the Holy Spirit to check your heart. Am I, am I worried right now about how I'm going to come off to this person? Am I more worried about how, they'll, how will they see me? I mean, as I thought about sharing what I just shared about being a preacher and that sort of stuff, I, those thoughts run through my mind like, well, will they think less of me if I share this, this to this level of honesty or and I think we all deal with that just on a day-to-day basis interpersonally. And so it stops us, it robs us from the freedom of being genuine and real and honest with one another. Let's go on, though. We'll spend a little bit more time here in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Notice it doesn't say, don't get angry, never be angry. And don't sin. It says, in your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love. Did you know that God gets angry sometimes? It's a strange thing. God gets angry sometimes. He gets angry at sin committed against himself, and he gets angry at sin committed against his creation, particularly the pinnacle of his creation, us. So when we're hurting at one another and sinning against one another, it angers God. Now, to the degree, the degree to which God grows angry by sin and deception committed against others, that is a direct reflection of God's deep love for you and I. So his anger isn't something that's separated from his love. It's because his love is so vast and so deep and so consistent that God gets angry about sin. And I think that you and I understand this reality really intuitively. If I see my daughter push down her sister, right, I don't, I don't think to myself, well, at least she didn't push me, right? Good luck, by the way. Four-year-old pushing me around. I'm so tough. Um, no, I don't think that. I feel something when I see my daughters hurting each other. Personally, I feel something. It hurts me to see them hurting each other, but it, it, I, it almost, I feel almost an offense myself 
because I'm responsible for them. I love them. Like, I care about them, and I want to see them grow and care for one another. And so while I'm not the one being wronged, I'm still angered by that interaction because they're my girls. And because of my love and care for each of them, when they wrong each other, I do sometimes feel like I'm personally being wronged. And it's out of that love and care that I step in. And I step in to help restore the relationship by having them take responsibility, own wrongdoings, and forgive one another, right? That's what it means to step in out of love. So there's a distinct difference, and this is key. There's a distinct difference between anger that's born out of love and anger that's born out of inconvenience, okay? So there's two kinds of anger. Maybe there's more, but these are the two that I came up with. Anger born out of love is controlled, measured, and safe. Let me say that again. Anger that's born out of love is controlled, measured, and safe. Anger that's born out of irritation or inconvenience or frustration is out of control, it's unpredictable, and it's not safe. It's explosive. There's no self-control involved. It's, you did this, and so this is just my natural response. This is kind of what you get. That is wrong anger. That is not anger that is good or helpful or wise. And so if you're a person that, like me, this passage really hits me, who struggles with anger that is uncontrolled and unpredictable and unsafe, I want to encourage you to be very careful about how you go about determining if your anger was justified. Because you might hear me and think, okay, if I keep my mouth shut and I don't explode, then my anger's okay. And that's not the win either. Right? That's not the win either. We all have this thing that um, this, uh, this social psychologist coined about 10 years ago called an inner lawyer. We have this, this person, this voice inside of us that talks and says, hey, let me find uh, the, 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 the evidence or the reasons for why what you're feeling right now is completely justified. Let me, let me help you, right, in that way. It's confirmation bias, right? We naturally look for things to confirm our bias, our predisposition, our presuppositions. And so as you think through and begin to ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what kind of anger am I dealing with? Am I, am I out of control, unpredictable? Am I unsafe? And by the way, you're probably typically not going to be the best person to ask that of. Like, you might want to find out from someone else. Do you feel unsafe around me when I get upset? Do you feel like you don't belong in relationship with me when I'm angry? That would be much more of a trustworthy source than your own sort of evaluation, right? Now, look at verse 27. Do not give a dev the devil a foothold. So Paul's connecting this idea of anger, of, of good, righteous anger, with 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you do, you will, you're likely to give the devil a foothold. What is that foothold? I think Paul's talking about bitterness. Prolonged anger that's not dealt with, whether it's in your marriage, in friendships, with coworkers, family, you name it. Anger towards someone else that isn't talked about and resolved and brought to any place of, of re- reconciliation or restoration with the other person leads to bitterness. And that is the foothold that the devil will use to bring disunity and distrust into your relationships. Because bitterness deadens your empathy towards others. And it sharpens your critique of others. Bitterness deadens your empathy, your ability to look at someone else, and rather than quickly judge and be upset with them when they do something you don't like, rather than doing that, you lose your ability to actually say, I wonder why they're acting this way. Uh, uh, Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, talks about being brought to a place of wonder about what the other person is experiencing. So rather than uh, casting judgment and criticism and frustration, right, we ought to be people who are, when we're wronged or when someone does something we don't quite understand, going to the place of wonder and empathy and going, what has brought them here to this point that they're acting in this way now? It's a completely different place to start from, but if you're frustrated and bitter and angry and it goes on and it's not dealt with, you will lose that ability. And I think some of us have lost that ability even with our own spouses. I would ask you to ask yourself, to ask the Spirit, Holy Spirit, where have I grown cold towards empathy and where have you um, where have I allowed myself to sharpen my inner critic to grow harsher in my judgments more easily frustrated because though you there's two different kinds of people right some of us I'm more of an explosive anger kind of person so I tend to be more of a, a yeller. I raise my voice. That's what my mom did growing up. That's what I learned. That's what's natural and normal for me. There's others that are, anger, that are angry, but they're not, they're not outwardly uh, angry like that. It's more internal. Either way, though, both can lead to bitterness. I can be outwardly angry, raise my voice, have a conflict, and not resolve it, and go into the next day a little bit more bitter, a little bit more deadened about empathy and a little bit more sharpened in my critique of others. And the same is true for someone who maybe is more inward with their anger, who holds it in, who's just pissed and frustrated but doesn't bring it to the other person in love and ask God to soften their hearts. They just hold on to it. And so Paul's saying, new life in Christ for the body of Christ to be this living organism that cares for one another, that's closely connected in healthy relationships. We have to put off falsehood. We have to pursue authenticity and speaking the truth to one another, graciously, kindly. We've got to go to the place of wonder and ask, why? 
why are they coming at it from that angle? Instead of assuming how wrong and messed up they are. And we've got to grow in our empathy and deal with the conflict. You know, one of the things that when Julie and I were married, I remember at our wedding, um, uh, Julie's parents had a friend come and, and cook for our wedding, and, and he does an awesome job kind of catering and stuff, and he kind of ran up to us as we were getting done taking pictures, going back in to start the meal, um, and he's sweating bullets because he's been cooking like crazy and working hard. He's an older man, been married many, many years, and literally just, I mean, it was like a 30-second interaction. In He just starts tearing up, and he just says two things. Listen to each other. Never go to bed angry. Never go to bed angry at your, at your spouse. Find a way to reach a place of peace before you call it a night. And I think that's true for any relationship that we have. That needs to be our top priority. Verse 28. Now Paul's going to move from talking about anger to talking about stealing and giving. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, I think it's number seven, is thou shalt not steal. Do not steal. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this has always been really helpful for me. When thinking about these kinds of really clear moral commands that were given, Yellow. Um, when, we're, when we're given these moral commands, I, it's easy for me to forget that the reason we're called not to steal or not to commit adultery or whatever it is, it's not because God, in his infinite wisdom, just thought of some sort of moral idea and said, ah, this will be good for them. Let's go with this. We don't steal because God is not a thief. Does that make sense? We don't commit adultery because God is faithful and consistent. So any moral code or or laws or however you want to say it, right, any commands that we're given throughout the scriptures go back to the person and character of God. They are born out of that character. And so God is not a taker, he's a giver. He doesn't take from others, he gives freely, right? Now, Paul says here, don't steal, don't take stuff from other people. And I suspect that unlike the early church where you had brand new Christians who were literally living a life of thievery to now living new life in Christ, we probably don't have as much of that struggle in our community. I doubt there's many of us who are struggling with taking grandma's jewelry or something like that, and some of you are like, I am grandma, and it's my jewelry, but. (laughs) I think that there is something for us here. Though we may not struggle with, you know, outright taking something of a, a, a possession, a valuable possession from someone else, listen, everything that we have in our possession, everything you own, Everything that is called yours, right? None of it's actually yours. It's God's. Like, everything is God's. 
So all the stuff that you get, that you acquire, that you have, like Christians, we ought to think of those things as things that we're borrowing for a time, <laughs> that God is allowing us to steward and use to build his kingdom, to help our city, our neighbors, uh, the world to flourish. So our stuff, it's, we're leasing all of it. None of it's ours. It's all God's. And so when you think of your things and you, you think of this is mine, I've earned it, I'm keeping it, I'm saving it, I'm never touching it. Like, I'm not saying don't save, save. It's good to save. Talk about that in a second. But even thinking about your time, your, your gifts, your, your ability to, to pray for someone or with someone. Don't just think of money here. Yes, possessions. Paul's talking about actual work hard with your hands so that you have something to give to others. But I think that he's, he's thinking of our resources beyond just money, our time, our ability to, to serve someone and love someone. And when we hold too tightly onto either our stuff, our money, or our time, we're, we're robbing someone else of the opportunity to receive from God through you. We're robbing others. We are taking from them when we aren't willing to share what isn't even ours anyway because it's all God's. And so, recently, um, in a home community, uh, there was a couple who um, was struggling financially. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the spouses uh, came to a home community leader and said, you know, this is really hard for me to share. Um, I'm a proud person. I work hard. But I have this need. And a few hundred dollars, nothing big. Um, and I just need prayer for it. You know, I'm not asking, I don't want you to give me money. I don't want to take anyone's money. I just, I need prayer for it. And, um, and so, you know, the, the, the leader of the group said, hey, I appreciate that. But I think it would be incredible if you would give the rest of the group an opportunity to, to give. An opportunity to obey the Spirit to hear what God is asking them to do to be obedient and to step out in faith to meet that need. Don't, let, don't, don't rob them, right, of that chance to step out in faith and meet the need and give. Rosaria Butterfield, um, in her book on radical hospitality, Christian hospitality, talks about, you know, within the body of Christ, there's no members who, um, who are just kind of either sitting idly in apathy or, or like you're either giving or you're receiving. But there's no middle ground in the body of Christ. Think about that. You're either giving and don't just think money. Think about time, prayer, service. You're either giving or you're receiving. But there ought not be some sort of in-between where there's just nothing happening. And so this couple um, stepped out in faith and shared, kind of in tears, embarrassed, this need with the, with the home community. 
and we got, we got to talk through sort of like, why is that, um, why does that feel embarrassing or shameful? Why does that feel hard to do? Like, what does Jesus say about you and who you are? Um, what are you forgetting, you know, about the gospel and what he's called you to? And then we got to step up and double the need. Like, we over and above met that need and just we were able to bless them. And I just want to, I mentioned that story um, because I think, I think that that's going to become the norm in this church soon. Stories like that are starting to happen left and right where people are beginning to open up and be vulnerable and share needs. I think for the first time in a long time at our church and people are stepping up to meet those needs. And so I'm, I guess I'm, I'm encouraging you and excited with you that this kind of stuff is beginning to happen. And I'm excited for that to become normal, just completely normative, where we hear stories like that every other week, you know? Um, so, praise God. <laughs> Finally, I want to end talking about, you know, when I thought about Paul's words at the end of the verse 28, work with your hands, doing something useful, that you may have something to share with those in need. A few years ago, I preached a sermon in Proverbs on the topic of laziness. On the sluggard. Who's heard of the sluggard? should use that, more, that word more often. The sluggard, right? This slow, apathetic, unmotivated person. Just not willing to do much of anything. Um, and I thought about that sermon and, and the things that I walked through then, and this was probably five years ago, and just felt overcome with conviction again this week, just thinking about my own life and going, man, sometimes I feel like Julie left, my wife left for the weekend uh, with our girls. Yeah, sorry, that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> Um, no, she's still with me. Um, no, she went, she went camping with some girlfriends of hers that she's, she's grown up with. Um, they've done this camping trip every year for 12 years. Anyway, she took, she took our, our three little girls, dropped them off with her parents, and so I was alone the last few days. And, man, I'm just such a wimp when I'm alone. Like, I hate, I don't like it, you know? And I thought about as I was kind of struggling to, to motivate myself to, to, to spend time in the Word and on the sermon and, and just feeling conviction, like remembering this sermon I preached five years ago, and here I am still figuring it out. You know, like I, haven't, I just haven't arrived. And I think we all have things like that that are just an ongoing battle where you're constant. It's two steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. It's just like... When am I going to get there? And um, let me read a couple verses for you out of Proverbs about the sluggard. Proverbs 13, 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant. Okay, literally the insect. Learn from the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. 
It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. That one got me. Here I am, by myself for a couple of days, leading up to it, looking forward to a quiet house. I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm going to get so many chores done. Julie's going to be like husband of the year when, I, when she gets home. So stoked. And I just, I fell back into comfort and ease. And I think that, I think that the, the thing that kept coming to my mind is this idea of the ant who works its tail off in the harvest, in the season where there's plenty, right, where things are easy. He works and works and works. He's diligent. He's faithful, right? He fills the storehouse so that in the winter, when things are difficult and there's not a lot left, he has supply to sustain him through the winter. And I, like, for me, I'm thinking about, like, I haven't been diligent with my time, right, in the, in the weeks and months enough to where when I have that freedom of being alone and I can choose comfort and ease and weakness or I can choose that, that discipline and motivation, I'm, I don't have the storehouse to fall back on. It's not full because I haven't, I haven't been living faithfully in the seasons of plenty, and I share that with you in, in some ways to confess and in others because I just felt like as I was prepping and thinking and praying like, and this again is the strange thing about being a preacher because it's like, I think I'm, I'm teaching this faithfully to you, but I'm also dealing with my own stuff, right, that comes out and you guys get to be a part of it. Um, but I, I think that God in his spirit, he just said, you know, I don't think you're alone in this. I think there are others who deal with that same struggle in the body. And so I guess I just want us to move, as we move into communion today, welcome the band back up. Um, one of the, one of the, um, the lost Christian rhythms or, or spiritual rhythms or disciplines in the Western church is that of confession. I think if you've been to a church that's liturgical, right, high liturgy, uh, high church, a lot of like standing, sitting kind of stuff, um, often there'll be like a, a prayer of confession and then a, a prayer of pardon. And it's sort of something that's done communally with everyone. Um, uh, so there's kind of a prayer spoken over the, the crowd of confession and then a prayer of, of pardon. And you, you mostly as individuals will spend time kind of you and God, right, talking to God. And I think that that's really great and something that we could start doing. We haven't really done that much. But I think the real win and the way that God has designed it um, is for us to literally confess our sins to one another. Why? You know, when I, last night, as I was sitting, prepping the sermon, 
kind of finishing up things and thinking about it and just feeling, man, bummed about how I spent my time over the weekend and ah, did it again. I, I texted another, another uh, elder um, just kind of confessing, you know, I don't feel like I spent my time well. Um, and then I spent like 45 minutes just kind of writing out a letter to my wife, just saying, I'm sorry. Here's what I did. Here's, I just didn't do a great job. Um, that versus I'm going to spend time just saying to God, God, I'm really sorry. I screwed up. I'm not going to talk about it with my wife or with Russell. Maybe I'll make some excuses to Julie, right? I'm not going to own it completely or, or come right out and say in the moment, here's what happened. That's why I wrote the letter because she's out of service. I can't like call her or text or anything. So I'm like, okay, I'm in this moment and I feel resolve to do something different and I feel the conviction of the Spirit. So I'm going to respond in that moment to that conviction and, 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 and write this out or, or text a brother about what's going on. And I say all that because if I don't do those things and it's just me and God, what's the fruit been of me doing that, going that route with just this kind of like, okay, God, you know everything. I did it again. I'm sorry. Like I can, you know, muster up some, a repentant heart and, and really pursue that genuinely and sincerely. But there's just, there's something different that happens when we confess to someone else because vulnerability comes with accountability. And so how we change and how we grow is by sharing with others. Honestly, here's what happened. Here's what's going on. Like I need to get, and, and the truth will set you free. Like being honest about stuff and telling and confessing someone else, there's such a freedom that comes with that, a weight that's lifted. But there is accountability. We don't just do it for freedom's sake, right? We want to grow into whole followers of Jesus, grow into the new man, the new woman, leaving behind the old self. So I want us to do something for a moment. Just lean into this for a second, okay? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm going to close my eyes too. Take a couple of deep breaths with me. Just... Listen to your body. Listen. Ask the Spirit. Spirit, what are you doing? What would you have me confess? Is there something that I need to get off of my chest to share with a brother or sister in my community that knows me, that loves me? that question honestly right now as your as your eyes are closed and you're listening to the spirit and you're asking have I been angry in a way that's been unsafe out of control have I thought of my things as my things have I been a taker and not a, a giver have I allowed my heart to grow into bitterness, to lose empathy, to become more critical? 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring conviction. You, Holy Spirit, are the one who convicts. It's not me. It's not how eloquently I say things. Holy Spirit, it is you. It is God. And so we we pray that you would bring conviction, even though it may feel uncomfortable, that we may get the opportunity to confess our sins to one another, that we might, we might taste and feel tangibly from someone else being Jesus with skin on to us, the forgiveness and the, and the love and the mercy that you have on offer. And then that we would be held uh, accountable to, to press in and to move forward trusting you, but growing into the newness of life that you have on offer, that you've promised us as we leave behind the old man and, and, and walk into the newness of life of Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to the communion table, but I want, I mean this, if you felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, yeah, there's something that you might need to confess, talk about with someone, go find someone in this room, in your community, probably not a complete stranger, or a pastor or a leader who'll be in the back, and confess your sins to one another. This is part of how God wants to use and shape us as a body, that we would be people who are able to confess honestly to one another. So go get, grab communion, and before you take it, find someone and confess. I love you guys. desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.